You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day, there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. everybody and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. With me, your host, Katie Charlewood, history harlot and reader of books. Welcome one and all to old friends and new. I don't know why I said that. That was fucking weird. Before we get into anything, of course, if you are new here and you have an issue with colourful language or information presented to you in a less than pleasant fashion, um then you might want to exit stage left. Good, now that we've got that under control. I, as you can tell, my voice is a little gone and I want to apologise if I'm nasally or a little bit husky. Unless you like this voice. Mmm, yeah. <laughs> my jazz voice. Yeah, no, I'm, I just got back from Disneyland Paris. I took my two kids and their big sister with me. And we had a great time. For the most part, when my kids weren't whinging, uh, they'd just never been anywhere before, so they didn't know what to expect, and so I think it was a lot for them. And I know that my kids were sick because, or they were at least getting to the point where they were under the weather, because when I asked my girl if she wanted some macarons, yeah, I said it like that, or if she wanted chocolate-covered strawberries on a stick, kids love food on a stick, they do. Um, she was just like, no, I'll have some juice, please. And I'm like, oh, God, she wasn't eating cheese. My kid loves cheese. You give them cheese and ham and just like fruit. They love that stuff. You show some fruit and some chocolate and shove it on a stick. Fucking A. But no, they were not going for it. It was it was strange. I mean, they did eat more cake than I've ever seen them eat in their lives. But yeah, it was weird for them. Now I have I have one gripe with Disney though. Disneyland Paris. I don't know what the other Disney's are like. I haven't been to them. I'm not rich. Uh <laughs> I saved and got help to get to this one. And yeah, yeah, my little girl beat us in every single game. Every single thing that involved aiming. She's going to be a sharpshooter. I mean, it's ridiculous. Her hand-eye coordination is too good. But yeah, um, Disneyland Paris yeah, has a distinct lack 
of Clarabelle the Cow. Now, I don't know if you know who Clarabelle the Cow is, but she's like vintage Disney. So she's in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, and currently, you can see her in like Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse, um, Mickey and the Roads to Racers, and sometimes Minnie's Boutique. Now, Clarabelle, for some reason, uh, kind of links up with Goofy, kind of because they're tall and lanky, I assume, because, you know, she's a cow and he's a dog. And even though Goofy is a dog, he also has a dog, because Pluto's a dog. I don't understand this situation. Uh, I feel like Disney needs to explain something to me regarding this one dog walking and this other dog being a dog. I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for it, Disney. If someone wants to um, let me know what that is, that would be super. But yeah, absolutely massive lack of Clarabelle the Cow. So I was picking up some Christmas decorations and I've got a vintage sort of goofy and I thought I had Donald, but I didn't manage to get Donald. I do have Scrooge and Huey, Dewey and Louie because the, um, the, the lamp... The one with the lamp was like one of my favourite like VHS videos to watch growing up. I loved, loved that so much. I would watch it and then rewind it and watch it again because that's the kind of intense, hyperfixating person I am. Yeah, no signs of neurodivergence there. Anywho, we were um there and there's no Clarabelle the Cow and I am just severely just disappointed. Like... Uh, my little girl, she has this denim jacket with like an embroidered Minnie Mouse in the back. And she's like, will you get one, mummy? And I was like, I'll get one with Clarabelle the Cow on it. Like, that's my dream. To get like a denim jacket with a Clarabelle the Cow embroidered on it. Or I've seen people do these painted leather jackets. So I could get one for like my wee girl. I could get one for me. I get one for my son. If he wants a leather jacket, I'll get him a leather jacket. I don't care. Um... But, you know, he'd probably get Kylo Ren painted on it because he just loves villains. <laughs> he loves villains. I don't know what it is. He just, he has the thing for them. And he connects with them on a spiritual level. But uh, I would love, like, one of those leather jackets with, like, a painted Clarabelle the Cow on it. It'd be amazing. I'd love it so much. But, yeah, a distinct lack of Clarabelle the Cow in Disneyland Paris. Like, justice for Clarabelle, please. Excuse me, Disney. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, quit your jibber-jabber and fact me. In fact you, I will. But first, we're going to get our source on. Our sources are... Murder and Mayhem in the Holy City by Pat Hendricks. Charleston's Past by Georgia Phillips. Setting Up with the Dead a Story Journey Through the American South by Pamela Petro Sex Miles to Charleston The True Story of John and Lavinia Fisher And of course our favourites History.com and Biography.com I'll sit in comfortably. Good, then let's begin. Now you all know I have been promising you the story of an alleged female serial killer and seeing as it, it is December and the season of giving and whatnot, this seems like the perfect time to bring that up. And not because I had nothing else prepared. <laughs> I have I have a Christmas special planned, but I am behind on 
collaborations and other such things. Oh, if you are listening to this on the day of release, you can hear me on the Shite Talk History podcast. And I'm also on News Talk on a podcast discussing the history of gossip. And I think I'm on last week's as well for News Talk discussing the history of Playboy. So I'm 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 getting around, lads. That's absolutely flying. So yeah, go check those out. I'll put the links in the description down below for you. But anyway, back to the alleged female serial killer. And so our story goes to South Carolina. Because they they made two of them. I I don't know sometimes how state lines get drawn. They're weird. They cut through places they shouldn't. There is no like proper geological reason, um, socially or physically for them the majority of the time. It's just because it was easier because some fella had a ruler, right? Uh who's he got? The cartographer. Shall he work this out to make this more, you know, regionally and socially acceptable? Like so we don't harm cultures and mess up land divides that have existed for I don't know, millennia. No 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 no. Benjamin here has a ruler and an HB pencil. We're absolutely flying, fellas. No worries. Anyway, this story is not about geographical lines. It is about travel, I guess, kind of, and death. Lots of death. And uh, this may shock you, gentle listener, but uh, a woman who may be wrongly accused. Mm, yeah, I know. We're shocked that this has happened again in history. So let me take you back to the early 1800s in Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, I say Charleston, it's actually six miles outside Charleston, which is important because six miles out of Charleston, there was an inn of sorts. It is the Six Mile Wayfarer's House. It is named the Six Mile Wayfarer's House because... Again, you're going to be very surprised at this information. It is six miles outside of Charleston, South Carolina. There is another sort of boarding house of sorts. A place for weary travellers to rest on their way to or from Charleston. The place where the dance is from. I don't even know if the dance is actually from Charleston or or what happened there, but um, it's a good dance. I, I could learn any dance, I'd learn the Charleston, if I had any physical capabilities whatsoever. I'm so uncoordinated, it is bordering on um, neglect. So we have this inn and another lodging house, another mile down the road, closer to Charleston, called the Five Mile House. Very creative, I find, the naming of things in the past sometimes. Very creative. However, it is with the six-mile wayfarer's house that our story begins. Now, this particular area of lodging was quite popular. It was a decent place to stop outside Charleston. Now, six miles isn't actually that long. I mean, if you're travelling and you're walking or you're going by horse, then yeah, it can it can be a bit of a, a bit of a trudge in fairness, especially if you are a person 
who sells goods. Like, you know, if you are a trader of any kind, yeah, and you're carting things with you, but don't have, I don't know, a wagon, a buggy, a horse and cart, whatever. If it's just you and your damn mule, or perhaps a camel, you don't know. They could have had camels in South Carolina if they wanted them. It's not the point. So people would be travelling and they'd stop at this particular wayfarer's house because it's decent and it has many charming qualities that men who travelled found attractive. The most endearing of these qualities, however, was one Mrs. Lavinia Fisher. And Lavinia, she is beautiful. She is charming. And she's, well, nefarious, some might say. Because here's the thing about the Six Mile Wayfarer's house. People often checked in, but rarely checked out. Why did I say it like that? I don't know. That was very melodramatic. But yeah. So Lavinia, she would greet those weary travellers at the door. And she would bring them into her humble abode. She would be considerate and kind. And charm them. And get them to discuss things about themselves. To tell their stories. What they did where they were going, who they were meeting, so on and so forth, almost as if she was casing them, you know, figuring them out for whatever reason. The reason, of course, would be murder and theft. I mean, the theft was the aim of the game, but murder was just kind of a natural progression of the situation. So after Lavinia lured these men in and forced them to divulge their secrets via her feminine wiles, she would then provide them with a delicious cup of tea containing a special ingredient. That ingredient, of course, was drugs. Yeah, she'd riffy them. She would give them a special hot beverage in which was poison or kind of some kind of sleeping herb, something to knock them out, you know, just to get them incapacitated to the point that they could do what they wanted. And by they, I mean Lavinia and her husband, John. Now, in fairness, the poisoning was reserved for people who had anything worthwhile to take. Like, they wouldn't just knock them out willy-nilly. Like, that's just a waste of good drugs. So yes, once they knew that this fella had enough valuables on him that it was going to be worth pinching them, they'd drug him, he would get tired and he would retire to his bed in a very special guest room with a bed upon which no one was ever expected to have a full night's sleep because this bed had a special lever. The bed was customised so that it would sort of become a trapdoor and the person would lie upon it fall through and then land on spikes. Spikes. A basement of spikes. The bed was jimmy-rigged to just whew, 
and drop a sleeping person or, I don't know, a poisoned person, it feels like this hasn't been well thought out. Like, it feels like a lot of hassle. Like, if you've already poisoned them, couldn't you just strangle them? A grot, perhaps? It feels, it does feel like a lot of drama. Like, is this to show off to somebody? Look at this interesting, uh, sort of murder toy. Like, people would have trapdoors as a way of protection and, like, you know, to, to drop enemies to. But this? I don't want to say it's overkill. I mean, it is, obviously, but it just seems like a bit much. And I'm all for an extra gal. I am very much extra. I consistently tell people that I am, in fact, too much. And you just need to accept that. But yeah, this, this just seems a little far-fetched. I mean, are you really into hinges that much? Do you really need to show off your carpentry skills to this point? Look what I did, honey. I made a bed that turns into a trapdoor. Like, really? Really? That's... Anyway. So, yeah. They would, um... Fall onto the spikes. And then anyone who's managed to survive both being poisoned and stabbed like fucking Rasputin... John would come in and just finish him off. Like, because apparently, you know, there isn't such a thing as overkill in this house. But yes, after the person was well and truly deceased, the fishers would just steal their shit and hoard it like dragons. Uh, sometimes they would sell bits on, fence it off, but yeah, that was, that was their whole deal. They were a husband and wife doing what they loved creating intricate death traps and stealing shit. Living the dream. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, that's horrible. But yeah, they're uh, they're doing this stuff and here's here's the thing about uh you know murdering people consistently um over a period of time is that when people go missing others start to notice. So People start to investigate and they're, they're suspicious about how and where these people are going and why so many of them, the last time they were seen, was in the vicinity of the Six Mile Wayfarer's house. So people already have their hackles up. They're getting, you know, a wee bit weirded out by the situation, a wee bit suspicious. And then John Peoples. John is on his way to Charleston. He's travelling in from Georgia. You know, it's a long journey. I'm fairly certain. Geography, not my strong point. So he's travelling in and he's tired and wants to rest. And he comes across this six mile wayfarer's house. And he is welcomed in by the beautiful Lavinia. And so he goes in and Lavinia tells him that the room isn't quite ready yet. But, you know, come in, put your feet up, make yourself at home, have this delicious cup of tea. Don't ask why it smells like almonds. And he goes, mmm, this doesn't seem weird at all. And they're asking him questions. Well, Lavinia's asking him questions and he's like, uh, not into this. He's like, 
that's a that's a lot of questions you're asking me specifically how much money did I bring with me why do you why do you want to know how much money I brought with me like so many questions like I don't know if you've ever sat on a plane next to a seven-year-old like that I imagine it's like that just so many questions consistently one after another in a row so she's asking him you know where are you coming from? Where are you going? How much have you got with you? Did you bring any valuables with you? And again, but odd. And so he's looking at his tea and he's uh, not feeling like he wants to consume this particularly, uh, which is, you know, a good idea, obviously. And he's starting to get uncomfortable. So when Lavinia isn't looking, he just pours out his tea and pretends he's drinking it like, mmm. What a delicious, heated, slightly caffeinated beverage you have made for me, Lavinia. Lovely proprietor of this establishment. And he hears people moving about. He's he's, he's kind of wigged out. He's thinking this is odd. Uh, And he's like, are there other guests in this guest house? And uh, Lavinia and John are like, no. No one else is here. Don't be, don't be ridiculous. That's, that's foolish. And he's, he's convinced there's someone else there. He's like, there's too much noise happening for us to be alone. And like, why would you not want to see other people are guesting in your guest house? That's, it's just bad business. And so, Lavinia informs him that his room is in fact ready. And, you know, conveniently. And so he goes into the room but he's again he's really fucking suspicious over this whole scenario because unlike most people who traveled there um he's not an idiot and so he decides he doesn't want to sleep in the bed he wants to be prepared in case anybody comes into the room because he's like they said there's no one here but there's definitely fucking people here and so he sleeps in a chair by the door so instead of being in the bed. So while he's having a little sit down, a little nap, he hears a creak. And in the middle of the night, he sees the bed fall through the floor, like right in front of him. And he sees it crash onto the spikes below and he's like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And he leaps out the window and fucking legs it. He is going full Forrest Gump, running through, I don't know, forest and roads and stuff. And he legs it to the authorities because he needs to get people there. He is not having it because that is fucking terrifying. So the authorities, they all sort of round up just as many people as they can, as many lawmen. And they head towards the house, Six Mile House. And they go in there and they are met with an ungodly stench. Like they can smell just decomposition, which somehow uh, nobody could smell before this very moment. And when they go into the basement room, they find hundreds and hundreds of remains, just decomposing bodies, skeletal remains, the whole shebang. And so they arrest Lavinia and John. And 
John and Lavinia are taken to jail in Charleston. A priest is brought to them, perhaps uh, a reverend, some kind of holy man. I'm assuming a priest because they mention confession. And he begs them to confess their sins and to go to the Lord with a light heart, right? And John is like, I'm sorry, we killed these people. You know, we shouldn't have done it. It's, you know, whatever. And Lavinia is like, nope. I will confess nothing. I will apologize for nothing. I will do nothing. And John is taken out on his day of execution. He's brought along. The noose is put around his neck. Short drop and a sudden stop. And Lavinia, she steps out and she's wearing a fucking wedding dress. And she is brought out to the gallows. And there she stands in front of a crowd. I mean, I told you she was extra, right? So there she is in front of this crowd who have gathered to just watch her die. And she screams to this gaggle of onlookers. If any of you have a message for the devil, tell me now, for I shall be seeing him shortly. And then, without missing a beat, she leaps off of the gallows and hangs herself before the hangman gets a chance. And that is the legend of Lavinia Fisher. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty and about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today and join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode where I'd like to tell you a story. But wouldn't you like to know the real story? Of course there's a real story. You really think we're like 20 minutes in? I think we're 20 minutes in. Let me double check. We are 25 minutes in. You really think this is where this story ends? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. So, it's true that Lavinia Fisher had a an inn, the Wayfarer's house, the six-mile Wayfarer's house, with her husband, John Fisher. 
Now, the Vajras weren't exactly squeaky clean, law-abiding citizens. They were part of a group of highwaymen, or at least they housed highwaymen, who would, you know, rob some people on this, you know, on the path, on the road, on the way to Charleston. And they would cheat at poker games and all of these inns in and around Charleston. Because the inns and the houses, they would host poker games because it brought people in, people would buy things, you know, food and other beverages and whatnot. So this was kind of a thing that was, you know, known but not known, like an open secret and it was causing an issue because people didn't like to be cheated out their money. So Five Mile House was known to host these sort of dodgy poker games, right? And Six Mile House, obviously, nice and close to it. So whispers start getting around about these highwaymen and the stuff they're doing. And so this fucking vigilante group forms because they're like we are sick of this shit and what they do is they go to five mile house and they burn it to the fucking ground like it's ash so they burn it down and after they burn it down they head over to the six mile wayfarer's house and they get there and they tell everyone that they've got to go and, you know, after witnessing Five Mile House, you know, turn to dust, incinerate in front of their eyes, they think, yeah, you know what, this is a perfectly reasonable thing. We will go. And so everybody, the fishers, their buddies, they just get up and go. They leave. And the vigilante group, they leave this one fella, David Ross, to guard the Six Mel Wayfarer's house, to stop the fishers from returning. Because, you know, um, there's a man and a woman and some other men, and you're like, yeah, this is going to stop this one dude. So, yeah, they're, they're trying to guard it with this one fella. Not even two, just one. Again, feels like poor planning in this whole scenario. But I guess if you've got a vigilante gang, organisation is probably not the top of your to-do list. But anyway. The very next day, David Ross, he's on guard and some fellas come over and start beating the shit out of him. And he sees Lavinia Fisher come towards him and he's like, it's the beautiful, lovely Lavinia. She's clearly um, going to help me. No, 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 no. He says that she chokes him, hits him and smashes his head through a window. Now, how she managed to do that if two other men were beating him up, I I don't know. It, again, seems a bit odd for me. It just doesn't add up. But yeah, he's being beaten up by three people and still manages to escape. And so he legs it. And so the Six Mile Wayfarer's house is open for business. And the crooked highwaymen and the fishers, they're able to return. Because, you know, they probably want their shit. You know, you kicked them out of their house. Doesn't feel like the worst scenario to me. 
Because this isn't like a lawful force. This is a bunch of random people that just kicked them out of their house. Without any real evidence. Because see at the time as well, there's this farmer who complains that his cow was stolen and that the cow was stolen by this like big gang who cheated at cards and robbed you in the road. So yeah. But Ross has gone back to town and he has told people of what is going on. He has contacted the sheriff and yeah, well, shit's about to go down. So in February 1819, the sheriff basically collects a bunch of dudes because uh, he doesn't have uh, a proper police force of any kind. And so he gets, again, just a bunch of people. Like, I mean, you could also call this a vigilante group. I mean, apart from the fact that it's been led by, you know, the sheriff, you know, these people have not had proper training, although I doubt the sheriff had either, but still. So this big fucking posse, they surround the Six Mile Wayfarer house and they remove the Fishers and four other people from inside. They then set fire to the Six Mile house. They just burn it. And so as they burn it, they somehow find a bunch of stuff that they claim has been stolen. And they also find part of a cow in an outhouse. If you don't know what an outhouse is, it's like an outside toilet. Um, I know some places have outhouses which are just like a little washroom outside. But I think at this point in time, it would have been, you know, your loo, your toilet. But yeah, so they find the hide of the cow in the toilet like I mean I mean I I feel like it's good that they were like waste not want not and you know dressed the animal before whatever they did with it but like why would you leave a cow hide in the toilet like it feels again not like a logical option because if you've got the hide at that point, it's probably been tanned in some way. It's probably been treated. So to not put it somewhere safe, like inside the house or in the secret basement they allegedly had. I mean, they would have had a basement because everybody had a basement. It was just logical. It was a good place to store things, you know. But they just left a bit of the cow in the outhouse. It just, I mean, I can't be the only one that thinks this is weird, right? You know? So yeah, they find a bit of this cow and the farmer's like, see, they stole my cow. And so John and Lavinia Fisher are taken to jail. So the police, you know, suspicious as fuck, start digging up around the property and they found a couple of uh, bits and pieces, a couple of things, you know, taken from supposed guests and they also found a couple of skeletons on the property now it's the fact that they say skeletons because in order for remains to become skeletal like that's a lot of that's a lot of decomposition 
It depends on how skeletal they mean. Is there any flesh on them? I feel like I'm asking too many questions regarding this. But yeah, it's like, how did this get to this point? Sorry, I just remembered part of the legend where they're like, oh, we found all of these secret tunnels and mazes underneath the house. It's like, why? Like, having a tunnel, I can maybe get, you know, especially if you're stealing shit, but like, why make a maze? Like, that makes no sense. Because a tunnel is for a getaway, for hiding. If you've got a maze, that actually makes it more difficult because you make things more complicated for yourself because you have to memorise a fucking maze. But anyway, John and Lavinia Fisher are taken to the old city jail in Charleston. So John, what he does is he basically throws the entire gang under the bus. So he starts naming names. Like, he's got names, he's got places, he's got dates. He starts talking about the gang, their criminal activities, everything they did, in return for protecting Lavinia. He's like, just, you know, he's trying to, like, save her and protect her, and she's having none of it. She's like, nope, I'm staying with you. And... This is this is an interesting part because it is so weird to see a man go, no, I must protect my wife, uh, instead of, you know, trying to save himself, which he could have done. But yeah, the two of them are, you know, they're, they don't want to be apart. And so they plead not guilty to, you know, this very complicated and elaborate murder that they're accused of. Because they were accused of having the trapdoor bed which obviously they couldn't find once they burnt the house down. Oh, what did you do? Oh, we just destroyed all evidence. Now you've got to take our word for it. Right? And we've only got one lawmaker here. Yeah, just the sheriff. Okay. And so everyone else is just just a bunch of random dudes. Just a bunch of random dudes. Well, that's... That's fun. (sighs) Yeah, so... So here's the thing. Nearly a full year passes between them being arrested and, you know, their proper conviction, right? So they're they're in the old city jail and they're they're actually really lucky. I say really lucky because, you know, they're in jail, so that's not that lucky. But they're on this sort of second floor. So instead of being downstairs in the sort of icky bit of the jail they're a little bit higher up they're sort of it's kind of cleaner and John and Lavinia are allowed to be in the same room like they stay in the same room together which is nice I guess that they get to spend uh, all this time together in this four foot by six foot space with a, a bucket in the corner to poo in yeah it's romance lads romance now allegedly uh, Lavinia used again some of her womanly wiles to get some comforts to the room, some sheets, you know, things to be comfortable to sleep on, you know, just bits and pieces, just girly things, you know. Now there are stories that she was shagging guards and stuff just to make things more comfortable, but I feel like if she was doing that well, she would have used her wiles to fucking escape, you know, just anyway. So there she is, and her and John, they're there for months, so it's like seven months in, you know, 
you know, they've been here since February and they're getting a bit antsy and they're at this point planning their escape. So in September, they decide that they are going to try and escape the South Carolina jail. They had been sort of chipping away at this window in order to make a space big enough that they could climb out. And they had been collecting their prison linens, weaving them together to form a rope so that they could then escape. And so they do this, or they try to. So John manages to make it out, but as he makes it to the ground, their rope, well, their rope adjacent, their rope-ish, it snaps and Lavinia is stuck in jail she can't get out like there is no way for her to get out of this situation so when it becomes clear that john has escaped like there is a manhunt people are out looking for him he is public enemy number one right they're all looking for him but john doesn't get far because he is planning to come back and get lavinia out because he's not going without her he could have crossed state lines he could have buggered off he could have gone to Oregon but like he didn't he didn't he wanted to come back for his wife and so very quickly within two days he is recaptured and brought back and then the two are kept under you know much heavier guard they you know because they're now a flight risk so through all this Lavinia is convinced that they are going to be released like you know these aren't real charges Because, like, the two bodies, or the three bodies, or whatever, they found on the property. Like, it's a big enough property. There is no guarantee that these were specifically connected to the Fishers. You know, they could have been connected to the gang. But when they go to trial, right, they are found guilty. The jury finds them guilty of highway robbery, which is a capital offence. You stole some stuff, so now... We're going to hang you. I'm I'm not saying the punishment doesn't fit the crime. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. The punishment does not fit the crime in this scenario. So Lavinia is convinced that they are going, you know, to be, like, overturned. Like, that this isn't going to happen. Because, you know, women generally don't really get hung. It's not really a thing. And the couple are trying to appeal you know, this decision, they're trying to get it turned around. But in February 1820, a whole year after they were first arrested, their appeal is rejected and they are both sentenced to death. With their execution being scheduled for later that very month. And so they are brought Reverend Richard Furman. And he's brought in to give them counsel to, you know, hear their last confession, if you will. And John is begging the priest to save his soul. He's gone full Christian. He's just like, you know, do what you can to save me, to save my wife, like to save our souls, yada, yada, yada. But Lavinia, she's not talking to the priest. She is not interested because uh, there's probably 500 fucking reasons why she doesn't want to bloody do it. You know, she's waiting to die 
for something she may or may not have been involved in. Like, I've seen this labelled as cruel in many, in many documents. It's like, Lavinia was cruel, she didn't speak to the priest. Yeah, maybe Lavinia was fucking upset. Have you considered that? Maybe she was dealing with trauma because she was going face to face with her own mortality for a crime she may not have committed. But yes, the Fishers were taken from the Charleston jail on the 18th of February, 1820. And they were brought to the gallows behind the building. And they are dressed in white. Because, remember, during this time period, white would be the funeral shroud. It's what would cover a body, you know, upon burial. So, John Fisher, he is praying with the minister and he is just, he is just leaning into, again, the whole God situation and he gives the priest a letter to read out. And so the minister is reading this letter to the crowd of 2,000 people. So 2,000 people showed up to watch people die because, you know, there was no shows on that day. And so he reads out the letter and it basically says that John and Lavinia are innocent and they ask for mercy for those who have done them wrong, um, you know, during this whole process because trumped up charges, stuff's against them and, you know, the usual shit. So after this, um, John begins to, like, beg the crowd like he's asking them for forgiveness um and he's begging them to like you know not kill him and stuff but of course this does nothing and john is hung he's hanged till dead now lavinia that is a different story so she completely freaks out she doesn't want to go obviously because why would you want to walk to your death i get it no absolutely not no thank you zero out of ten would not recommend but yeah she ends up being picked up and bloody carried to the gallows because she she is not going anywhere willingly and she is fighting she is flailing her arms and screaming and she is just just going absolutely absolutely wild and so she is being pulled up to the gallows and she is shouting it just like the people of Charleston especially people in those sort of higher classes she blames all of them for creating the situation she blames them for her you know, causing this. Because, like, up until this point, Lavinia was convinced that this was going to get overturned, that people would do the right thing, you know, that someone would save her. But she has just had to watch her husband die. Like, watch him be murdered in front of her. Like, that's her perspective. Like, that's what she's seen. And so, she is just causing an absolute commotion so that this isn't pleasant for anybody involved and honestly good for her like yeah that feels 
that feels appropriate given, you know, the information we have at hand. And so she's she's blaming all these people for forcing this kind of conviction on her. And, like, it gets to the point where she's on the gallows. And she's reaching out and her hands are out. And at this point, you know, she's going through all the fucking stages of grief. And she is begging the crowd to help her. Begging them. She's just seeing how she's innocent. And she is so desperate in her last moments that she just reaches out for help that is not coming. And they manage to get the noose around her neck. Now, this is where I think the leaping comes from. The leaping part of it. Because the way this information is given to us, there's no way to accurately tell whether she jumped or whether she slipped or whether she was pushed. Because this is going to be frustrating for the hangman. This is going to be awkward because she's all wiggly worm in it. And she's just clearly having a breakdown because she has watched her husband die and she's being faced with her own death. And so if she's struggling and they're trying to get the noose on her, she could have easily slipped. And that would have been just more horrific for them, you know? Because it's somehow sadder if someone dies accidentally, especially when you're seeing her screaming and crying and sobbing and begging. But one way or the other, Lavinia Fisher drops from those gallows at just 27 years old. So throughout this story, it's sort of implied, you kind of get the idea that she's older. But like, she was arrested at 26. Like, she was so young. But I know, like, oh, it was a different time. I don't give a fuck. It was flimsy evidence. It was circumstantial at best. And they just blamed her. Like, it was her fault. It was her womanly wiles. You know, she was involved in this gang. Like, was she? Really? Oh, yeah, no, they hung out in her house and they, they fenced some stuff to her. That's, it's a wee shame that. But they're like, oh, but she clearly built this mechanism and she did this and she poisoned them because she's evil. Like, no. And because the fact that she wasn't, you know, forthcoming to the priest, and because they couldn't handle her reaction to the gallows, this myth spreads. Because nobody wants to, like, accept accountability for this. They want to just tell a story and make her evil. But, like, no. Just no. I really wish... You know, just sometimes, just sometimes, that women in history don't get completely fucked over by men. Like, not just in their lives, you know, because obviously, but in the way that we tell their stories, that we talk about their lives, that we don't mash it into bullshit and destroy their reputations just because... They live or act in a way that you are not completely happy with. Pale and still males. You know what I'm fucking talking about. 
See ya. Anyway, she says aggressively, if you liked my retelling of the tale of Lavinia Fisher and hopefully giving her some of her, I don't know, fucking history back, then please rate and review five stars. I'm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the places, just everywhere. I'm everywhere. Just do that. You can follow me on the socials. Yes, I just said the socials. I am on, I almost said history.com and biography.com, but I am not there. I am on whatever Twitter is known as now. I don't know, squiggle and a dot. I'm on that. I'm on Facebook, basically. I'm on Instagram and TikTok. I'm everywhere. Come and say hi. It's fun. Also, uh, yeah, recommendation time, I guess, is where we're at. And I'm going to recommend... Oh, my heart is racing. Oh, I'm actually, like... I'm quite ill right now. This is not good. Anyway, oh, also, I have a tip jar um, on my PayPal. If you want to just, you know, donate money for me to buy books and read things, that would be great. I can get books on Kindle for, like, 150 <laughs> And I don't have to buy physical books, which I want. But that's not the point. That would be great. So, yeah, if you want to... If you want to uh, do that, that would be nice. Also, uh, yeah, re- recommendation time because I can feel myself needing to lie down and relax. So yes, uh, I'm going to recommend for watching the Home Alone movies 1 and 2. Don't, don't bother with me. Just, no. No, 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 no. Home Alone 1 and 2. It's a package deal. I'm sorry. You gotta. Uh, for lessening... I'm going to recommend you listen to the Shite Talk History Podcast. Have fun. I'm on it. I'm great. Um, Probably not as funny as the two professional comedians. (laughs) But yeah, um, I'm on that. And if you want to, you should go check them out. And for reading, I am going to tell you to go read a book called Bold, Brilliant and Bad. It's basically about Irish women and history have been mislabeled and it's fucking awesome you should go read it and with that the room is spinning and i'm gonna bid you adieu okay uh adios au revoir au revoir (laughs) no au revoir my friends bye bye